Thanks for listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show broadcasting today from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Beautiful day, by the way, in Tuscaloosa. I'm sure it's beautiful in Athens, Georgia as well, where the dogs are coming home with the national championship that so many, myself included, thought would uh, would belong to the Tide today, since it seemingly always belongs to the Tide. But that not the case, because that Lee Corso always says, not so fast, my friends. Sure. Check out the latest lines from World of Sports. Betra Sportsbook. Betra is the trusted name in online sports betting. Must be 21. President Colorado, uh, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Play gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a... There's a piece out in the Miami Herald about why Brian Flores was let go as head coach of the Dolphins. Because based upon, I don't know, I mean, look, I was told he's been the head coach for, what, four years now? And if you go back to the year before he was hired, he interviewed for a couple of jobs. And I talked to some people, like I talked to some NFL personnel people that year, I remember. And they were like, you know, I'll give you a name of a guy who's going to be a head coach. He's just not ready yet. He's not ready yet. Is uh, Brian Flores? I was like, really? Like, yeah, he's the defense going to be the defense coordinator of the Patriots. They had a good year. They went to the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl. Um, he, I remember, the Patriots defense was turned around dramatically there at the end of Tom Brady's run, and Flores taking over was a good portion of at least one of the reasons why. Belichick obviously specialized in defense. It's sort of his side of the ball, yada, yada, yada. So I, I, I've always, you know, kind of, it's like it's like the girl when you're growing up that you always had a crush on, right? Like Halle Berry, right? I've always kind of had a thing, always kind of had a thing for Brian Flores. So when his name was, when he was fired, and remember they got hot at the end of the year, we pointed out that their schedule was a joke at the end of the year, right? Like, you, you you beat the Ravens, who didn't make the playoffs, and the Ravens were on a Thursday night after a tough Sunday night game, and they had they had a lot of they had a ton of injuries this year. You know, you beat the Jets, so you beat the bottom of the league, um, and then at the end of the year, you end up getting a win over the Patriots, but you're you're again not playing the Patriots starters. But but this is from the Miami Herald. Even though we were all surprised, we had. I had heard, others had heard of a rift between he and Chris Greer, their um, their general manager. Flores was essentially, again, this is from the Miami Herald's piece, running the Dolphins building, according to a source of direct contact with Dolphins management. But he wanted even more control, the source said. He wanted the authority to formalize, to eliminate the contract, the contract annoyance of general manager Chris Greer, having final say on the draft and free agency. Uh, there was a CBS report that Flores preferred Herbert over Tungavailoa. Flores has told NFL people he's a height, weight, speed guy, which led to speculation that he preferred Herbert. But a league source insisted that both Greer and Flores were both on board with picking Tua. 
who was Ross's preference. Ross didn't order them to pick Tua, however. Uh, there's a lot to get into. I mean, like, Justin Herbert's clearly better than Tua. I, I, I think even the Chargers would have missed on that one if they were in position. But that is what leads to people wanting to fire other people. A close associate to multiple young Dolphins players complained that he doesn't understand dealing with men. I, I, I will say that some of this is par for any sort of course of any sort of discipline-oriented coach. And remember, this is a guy who is young and you would think is very relatable. Either, one, this is the players, or two, this is kind of a him imitating Belichick sort of issue. One veteran player complained that Flores would pass him in the hallways and never say hello, never acknowledge his presence. He asked a friend why he wanted to work in a place like that. John Ramos, what business is, is Brian Flores in? What A business like head coach of a football team? What business is he in? He's in the NFL. He's in the football business. No, he's not. He's not. He's in the player personnel business. No, he's not. Okay, I'm over two. He's in the people business. People business. Okay, Th- that's it. The job that I'm in, I'm in the people business. You have to. And look, I say some things that rattle some people. That I, there's no question. I I think that one of the things that happens when you're in my position is you try and you say things and people don't actually hear them. They hear what they want to hear, okay? And you'll get called names or whatever. But generally, if you listen to the show, you're like, all right, you can relate to many of the things in my life and way I think and things I see. You can disagree with my takes. That's, that's part of the gig. Part of the gig. When you're running a radio station, you're not in the radio business, you're in the people business. When you're running a liquor store, you're in the people business. Customers, people who are below you. When you're in pharmaceutical sales, as many of you are who drive around and listen to the show, you're not in the pharmaceutical sales business, you're in the people business. And there's no business more people-oriented than coaching. And I think what Flores is running into is... Uh, that whether he became arrogant, sometimes you can be perceived as arrogant because you're younger. Ryan Rosillo is a good friend of mine, and he used to say this all the time. He was in his 30s when he finally got to ESPN. That guy is a grinder. He's got an unbelievable personal story. And he used to, I we used to joke about, like, when I first got there, things I would say would be a firestorm at ESPN. And part of it was, I was 26, 27 years old. If I was 45 years old saying the exact same thing, I would be, it would be viewed differently. So I, I would give him not a pass, but an understanding that when you're younger, right, when you're younger, when you're new at this, everyone is going to take anything you say as, oh, he's arrogant, he's full of himself because everybody's complimenting him and telling him how great he is. There's a possibility that's true. You have to know that. You have to navigate that. You have to be willing to understand that. Okay? Chris Greer, just, he'd had enough of this dude. Chris Greer had been there, he's been there for 20 years. He's got a working relationship with the owner. He's non-confrontational. You got to know all these things 
if you're, you know, if you're uh, Flores. You just do. He's not in the coaching business. He's in the people business. And his inability to manage up and on some levels manage down is ultimately what led to his dismissal. Doesn't mean that he can't coach. Doesn't mean that he's a terrible guy. Doesn't mean that he won't get another job. It's one of those things that you you probably you understand why most of these guys who get fired go back and take a year off or take a year to rethink, you know, and and to be different. Sometimes they take a coordinator position. Sometimes they go to Alabama and become an analyst. All of these things are on the table for him. But it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, you know. Doctors now are taught more about their bedside manner than actually learning about being a doctor. Because that's as big a part of being a doctor as anything. Coaching is not about how much you know. It's about can you get everybody to buy in on what we started the show with, talking about everybody pulling in the same direction. It's not about the smartest guys in the world don't always make the best coaches. It's one of the reasons that Kobe Bryant could never be a great coach. Because Kobe, though he became more liked at, at the end of his career and then revered after he retired, Kobe was a guy who was really hard to get along with, hard to be around. Because not everybody was wired like him. Just the truth. And he didn't have time for guys that didn't have this type of uh, almost maniacal work ethic. Kobe was also, I mean, like, let's just be honest, a bit of a selfish basketball player. I'll do it myself. And that's what Flores is doing. Like, you have to, you have to do the inception thing, right? Instead of demanding that you take over everything, you got to make it somebody else's idea where at some point Chris Greer and Stephen Ross come up to you and go like, hey, what do you think about running everything? Because when you try and take it yourself, uh, obviously there's other guys with longer standing, better relationships with the owner, and it leaves them the possibility of getting you fired. And, And don't be surprised if you wanted to brush aside Chris Greer End of the day, Chris Greer is going to be a survivalist. And in this case, his best move is to get rid of the guy who wanted to get rid of him. But Brian Flores forgot the number one rule of business. That's that every business is, in fact, the people business. And how you manage up, how you manage down, that's more important in terms of their personalities and how they perceive you than, than your performance ever could be. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. So over the last five years, right, over the last five years, the Chargers have been the team that people have poke fun at, especially when they played for a couple years in Carson. Uh, It hasn't been as bad this year playing in SoFi. Last year, no fans in SoFi. But how many times have we talked about the 16 road games the Chargers played in? Because, well, when you play in Carson, which is in the heart of Raider territory in Los Angeles that hadn't had a team in 20 years, 
and the Chargers were a rival team from a different city two hours to the south, it's it's kind of hard to drum up some support. But the, the Rams suffered the exact same fate this weekend. They're taking on the 49ers. 49ers had to win. Here's what Sean McVay admitted about the San Francisco 49ers fans. It did catch us off guard, I think, just because of the way that it's been this year. It's been a great, great atmospheres, great environments. Yesterday was the same thing, but there was a lot of red there. You know, that was definitely, it was, it was a surprise, I think is a fair way to uh, to put it. Here's Matt Stafford talking about the Niners fans. We took the lead late. You know, it didn't uh, end the game with the ball like we could have. We had a chance there at the end of the game. Um, you know, I thought our guys did a great job communicating. It was a tough environment for us to communicate in, really, the whole second half. Right? They're playing at home in SoFi Stadium. And be like, well, how can, that, how can that happen? Oh, Los Angeles fans, the worst. San Francisco 49er fans came down from San Francisco. Yeah, some of them. I would say a good portion of them live in Southern California. And it's not just that there are people that move from nor- Northern California to Southern California. That ain't it. Okay, that's not it. It's that when you don't have a team for 25 years, fans still love football. They gravitate towards the ones that are good. And the Niners, remember they went to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick. Of course, you go back to the even previous generation where they were dominant with Joe Montana and then Steve Young. Even Jeff Garcia had them in the playoffs as well. Alex Smith had them in the playoffs, in the NFC Championship game. Niners been so if you look around L.A., Raiders are still probably the most popular team. The other one, the Cowboys are probably the second most popular team. Right? And then you have teams like the Steelers, and you're like, what? It's not that everybody's from Pennsylvania. The Steelers have been good, and fans like the colors, the tradition, and they like good teams. You know. They, they like, they just, they like good teams. That's it. And those teams have been good and they have a bigger fan base. Ramos, is that troubling to you that the Rams in the second year in this new stadium, what, fifth year in the new town, they they can't seem to get a, no. they can't seem to get, no. No, it doesn't. And, and what you said is, and I was talking this to, to Jason yesterday, I it didn't, the, the fans that were there in that game yesterday were awfully quiet in the first half. And what happens is the main part of that, game was you let a team back into it and the fans that are there that are supporting the other team are going to get going to get loud and that's what happened if it was 24 nothing it would have been very quiet and so that's what you can't let teams back in the games and expect because you're right you're 100 percent right about the team the 49ers they have a history of winning i mean they won four super bowls with joe montana they beat the rams tons of times during the playoffs in those years they're going to have a large fan. They didn't move from San Francisco to like Lake Geneva and then come back to San Francisco after 20 years. Everything you said there is 100% correct about a fan base that's just already built in. It's going to take a while for the Rams to regain a grip of L.A. if they do it all, as you said. I mean, most of the fans are Raiders fans. So it, it's always going to be an uphill battle. Stug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. What do you think, Jace? Two. I think it's interesting, and this is why, because because the Rams did have the fan base. The Rams were here before. Rams fans will tell you that they waited thirty years for the team to come back and all this stuff. So I think this is interesting. More, and it's a different kind of story than the Chargers. The Chargers, for many reasons, weren't supported, but the Rams, I think they they hung their hat on the fact that they had that built-in fan base. 
And this is this was the biggest game of the year, and the other team's fans showed up, whether they were buying the tickets third party online or whatever. But uh, it's interesting, and it, it's just a, a different feel than the Chargers situation. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think mentioning it is a weird thing as well. Like, do you mention it or do you not mention it? Correct. Yeah, that that they actually brought it up and spoke to it is interesting. Oh, they brought it up and spoke to it. It was every other word in that in the Fox game. It really was. I mean, I watched the entire game, and, and and I love Joe Buck. I'm not here. I know he gets a lot of flack on a lot of things he does, and I think he's an excellent broadcaster. I enjoy him and Troy Aikman immensely. But, yeah, every other time they were talking was, it's like a home game for the 49ers. That's all they kept saying. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. So There were a lot of people there. And what's interesting is, you know, if you've been to the Niners news, it's nowhere near San Francisco. Nope. Nowhere near. You're right, 100% again. It's 45 minutes to the south. It's it's much closer uh, to San Jose. Or obviously, it's in Santa Clara, which is basically part of San Jose. You know, it's it, so I, I do think that there's a certain part of it that it's Los Angelinos that became Niner fans, but I also think that there's kind of expatriate Niner fans that are like, I'd rather go to a game in SoFi than, than go to a game – here, I also think that the, the it's interesting the Niners' overall ownership of the Rams as well. Yeah, and and I just and I told Jason yesterday, I I think I'm one of the very few fans that followed the Rams to St. Louis. Like I continued to be a fan of the Rams when they moved, and not, that can't be said. I think for a lot of people, I think a lot of people, like you said, just said, "Well, I'll find another team." What are you going to say, Dan Byer? I, I, I thought I heard Dan. I was just going to say, I also think that the dynamic of the new stadium, I, I think that the secondary market plays a big, big role in it. If you're a 49ers fan living in Southern California, you have one opportunity to see the Rams, or to see your team, while Rams fans have eight opportunities throughout the year. And I, 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 I think that L.A. is obviously its own issue, but I also think that this could be other uh, an issue in other markets as well, where you know Arizona always has fans, a lot of transplants there. Even Dallas, you'd be surprised at how many opposing fans actually go to Cowboys games, and the Cowboys have one of the biggest fan bases in the entire NFL. But you know that that could have played a part in it as well. Places like Kansas City and Green Bay, you don't see a lot of fan takeover, but. You know, I just but, I, I wonder if the new stadiums and the prices and and everything that goes with it play into it. Yeah, I, I well, I think sometimes it's location, right? Like, no one's going to go like, man, I got to go to Kansas City to see a game or Green Bay. I think it it is, but Green Bay, even the uh, outside of being a Bears fan, first the, uh, their rivals aren't very good. Okay, like Minnesota hasn't been good. Bears marginally good. Lions haven't been good. So all their division rivals haven't been good, whereas the other teams we're mentioning generally have been good, have won a Super Bowl, been to Super Bowls. I think that's a huge part of it. But they're also like Kansas City's not a destination city. So I think that's that, that's part of it. And as much as you would say uh, Arlington, uh, Texas isn't a destination city, there has been a – it's still the Cowboys. It's still a incredibly impressive stadium. And so I think it's a little bit different. Is that fair, Dan? Yeah, I I, th- I think there are a lot of factors. I think if you're a 49ers fan, just for example, you'd pay $500 to see the team play in their final regular season game in L.A. If you're a Rams fan, are you going to pay $500 every single week? No, maybe you maybe you you know 
paid for the Seahawks game or you know like like there's there's also just the the cost of it when you don't have like that season ticket base that maybe a Green Bay has or a Kansas City has. I think that plays into it as well that the secondary market is mostly dominated by away teams. And there's not a huge secondary market when you go to Green Bay or you go to Arrowhead and you go to those places. Well, I will tell you, like, I took my basketball team to Vegas and we went to the Raiders uh, Washington football team game. And that that's what that place is going to be. That's going to be a yes. There are a ton of Raider fans, but they're always going to have visiting fans because one people have moved to Vegas, yeah. or you just make a you make a weekend out of sure. it. That and that's actually become a very popular part of what uh, of the National Football League. That's it's kind of a new thing. It's it's kind of a college football thing that's becoming an NFL thing. Yeah, very very well put. I know fans who follow their teams and. You know, no offense to the Jacksonvilles of the world, but people are, you know, trying to go to New York and they're trying to go to, you know, the New Orleans and go to those places to follow teams. Doug Gottlieb show rolls on Fox Sports Radio. Let's welcome in Chris Sims, Football Night in America. Chris, you're watching on on Sunday. Um, can you fathom any way? Can you give any logical reason why Brandon Staley would go for it in the first half? at his own 18-yard line, fourth and two? No, I have no idea. That's one of my problems with Brandon Staley, certainly. Like, hey, I, I think he's got a creative defensive mind. You know, even though they struggled on the defensive side of the ball this year, which wasn't great for him, but I don't know if they necessarily have the personnel there that fits his system yet. You know, offense, of course, no toughness in the running game. But, yeah, to go for it at that point, again, I know we're in this new age of analytics and all that. Uh, but there is more to, than, than, than analytics for this football game. And to be in a 17-14 game at that point, too, at a, at a point where you go, wait, the end of the first half, our offense and, and Justin Herbert looked really good. The Raiders didn't do a whole lot offensively in the first half. I mean, they had the field goal drive. They had the short field off the turnover. I just don't understand, you know, the decisions in those moments throughout the year. There's a number of them we can look back at. The Chiefs game, of course, we can go back to that, too. I know the analytics say to go for it. But, you know, at the time, the Chiefs being the hottest defense in football and nobody scoring touchdowns, did did the analytics take that into account? So I just think there's more to it sometimes than the numbers, and that certainly didn't help out their situation on Sunday night. No question about it. Okay, so let's get to the the end of the game in overtime. Right. I think this is Collinsworth making a much ado about nothing. And I, I know you guys work for the same company. I, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that hops on Collinsworth, but I think he wanted that tie so bad. Did he think, <laughs> did he think the Raiders were going to take a knee? They were in a shotgun. They weren't taking yeah. a knee. They were running the football, no, no. weren't they? I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. They're going to run the ball to the left side out of the shotgun formation. You know, they had already run it on a similar play, the same type of look, the play before for seven yards. It looked like everything I've watched on film, the back was set back a little farther than the quarterback. All the tells that they were going to run it there once again. So, yes, they weren't just going to go, oh, kneel it and let the clock go out. Absolutely not. I do think people are making a bigger deal about this timeout than than they should be. You know, the Raiders were going to run the ball there no matter what. And then they were going to gauge how many yards they got. And if it was, okay, we get eight or ten yards and now we're – 46, 47, 48 yard field goal, we'll kick the field goal and try to win the game. And people might go, well, why risk even trying to kick the field goal? Why? Because at that moment, when you have a chance to win the game, the risk is 
lesser than the reward there. The chances of it being blocked and return for a touchdown are very little, especially from a 40-something-yard field goal. And then you add on to the fact that the Raiders got to look big picture there. You want to win the game so you're not the number seven seed and have to play a Chiefs team that you know you don't match up well against. So that's why you go for the win once you gauge, hey, we got enough yards there. Hey, if they didn't get any yards, they got stuffed on that play after the timeout, they probably would have knelt on it the next play after that. And the game would have been over and it would have been a tie. But once they got those 10 yards there, I think they reassessed the situation and said, let's go for it. We'd rather play the Bengals than the Chiefs. And I know people are going to go, well, the Bengals won 31-13. to Game's very misleading. It was 16-13 to with five minutes left in the football game, very close the first time around. Raiders match up much better against the Bengals than they do Chiefs, and uh, that's my two cents there. Sorry to talk so long, everybody. No, you're fine. You're fine. We have you on to talk. That's 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 the okay, whole thing. We have you on because <laughs> your opinion does, in fact, matter. Um, how much should concern we should have with the Rams? Not just they gave away the game, but once again, Stafford makes a big mistake. Yeah, uh, he's he's a million dollar question. And I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a defender of Matthew Stafford. I always have been. You know, I love his talent, certainly. But it does seem like the pressure of expectations has gotten to him to a degree. No, so he played better last week. There's no doubt. The last interception of the game, that was bad. It really was. I mean, Odell was gone. He just he, he underthrew it by 10, 15 yards. You know, the other jump ball, I think it was a third and long situation. It ended up being kind of de facto punt. But, yes, I think between Stafford, not, not in the trust tree right now, because the Rams kind of have it going in all ways. The run game's been pretty good down the stretch. Defense has got it going. Special teams is good. It's Stafford's inconsistencies that are certainly the scary thing about the Rams. And the 49ers are a tough matchup for them. This is a year about the matchup. You know, the 49ers, so they don't, they, it's, it's never going to be easy for, against, the, against the 49ers as far as the Rams are concerned. But, yes, Stafford. And, you know, those three or four very questionable decisions we've seen almost every week down the last six, seven weeks of the season uh, are certainly, you know, something I'll be looking for when they play the Cardinals this weekend. All right. That's the voice of Chris Sims. He's joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, I like the Niners against the Cowboys. Who, who, what's, yeah. the, what's the road upset that you like? Ooh, that would be one of them for sure. I mean, the, the 49ers, I, you know, again, this is a year you know, to the point I just made. It's about the matchups. There's no great team in the NFL this year. It, it is weird. And, you know, we can use Sunday night as a gauge. You go, oh, the Chiefs, they have to play the Chargers? It's going to be a coin flip game. The Chiefs have to play the Raiders? They're going to blow them out. I mean, it's that type of year throughout. I do think the 49ers match up with the Cowboys uh, in a lot of good ways here. You know, first off, Shanahan, you know, going to know Dan Quinn's offensive, defensive system, excuse me. He's going to know the tricks there. Shanahan, I believe, way more creative than Dan Quinn on the other side of the ball there. So that's advantage Shanahan of the 49ers offense. You know, I look at the other side of the ball and go, Cowboys, you know, last weekend did nothing for me to make me think, oh, wait, their offense is back. You know my concerns. They're an overrated offensive line. They're not very good at running the ball. I don't think that's going to change this week against the 49ers. Can you beat the 49ers by attacking their corners on the outside? That's going to be the big thing. Can Dak just go, hey, Amari Cooper, you're better than Mosley. We're going to throw a 20-yard out route. I'll put it on the money. Will they do that? The 49ers are the type of team, though, that will go, 
we'll play cover two and protect our corners and call your bluff and just see if you can actually run the ball on us that way. And, and then they'll adjust from there. But I think out of all the road teams, yes, the 49ers are the team I look at. Out of all the wild card teams in general, the five, six, or seven seeds, the 49ers are the team I look at to be, ooh, watch out, that's the one wild card team I look at that has a legit Super Bowl chance and a Super Bowl caliber team. Uh, the Browns are coming out saying Baker's still their guy. Do you believe that's actually the case? I, I do believe it's the guy. He is the guy, and that's you know, unless something just totally obvious hits them in the face, right? You know, maybe there's a deal for Russell Wilson to be had that they just go, it's it's the offer's too good to be true. We'll take it, you know, or Aaron Rodgers, which I don't think is going to happen at this point. But you know what I'm trying to say. That type of, like, oh, wow, we can get him and it's only going to cost us that, Deshaun Watson. But but if it's not just something absolutely the grass is greener on the other side there, then I do think they'll stay with Baker. He is the number one pick. We've seen little snippets of good play from him. you know. And I will say this, I defended him in the fact that, again, there's another pass offense that I think is, is really elementary in a lot of ways, Doug. So, uh, you know... Hey, do they open up the competition maybe a little bit between Case Keenum and the offseason a little bit more or bring somebody else in to light a fire under Baker Mayfield's butt? Hey, do what you got to do. I just know I wouldn't pay him the long-term contract, and I do believe that you know that they will make him the guy, like I said, unless something else just crazy just flies in their face. Chris Sims, our guest on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Who's the team to beat in the AFC? Oh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I toss. I'm between Kansas City and Tennessee there in that conversation. I am. You know, Kansas City. I have my concerns still, but I guess I look at them and go, "Hey, they are physical. They've battle tested and been in this situation a lot. They still have arguably the best player in football at quarterback playing for their football team." You know, so I do look at that and go, "Man, that's a that's a big advantage." The Titans are a team that getting no respect as a number one seed. It's not going to be sexy or pretty, but can they go to the Super Bowl going 20-17 to 17 in the divisional round and then 24-21 in the AFC championship game? Absolutely. The Titans have no – there will be no team that, there are, that mismatches them. I think that's what's different about them maybe than the rest of the AFC. You know, they're coached well on both sides of the ball. Their offense and defensive line – will never be overmatched against any team they play in football. So that's a great advantage. If they have their receivers healthy, Doug, you know, and, and we know Derrick Henry comes back, watch out. But as long as A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are healthy, I still think their run game is good enough to go along with those two receiver and Tannehill throwing the ball where they can still be a pain in the butt on the offensive side of the ball and get to the Super Bowl. Chris, uh, Happy New Year. Great job this year with Football Night in America. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you. Have a good week. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Uh, a lot of things I want to get to here. Check out the latest lines of World of Sports at BetRivers Sportsbook. BetRivers is the trust name and online sports betting. Got to be 21. President in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, or Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's get to what the Fox says. And now. <laughs> what does the Fox say? 
Every day at this time, the Doug Gottlieb Show, we play for you a portion of a previous show on Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports 1. We call it What Does the Fox Say? This is Brady Quinn. This is Brady Quinn talking about Georgia's quarterback, Stetson Bennett. I think voters like it. He played tough. He played scrappy. He took off and ran at times. I think when you look at what Bennett did at the beginning of the game, where he takes a 14-yard sack, <laughs> they, they, he ends up scrambling, somehow fumbles the ball when no one was around him, and it just so happens the ball bounces <laughs> right back to him. And then he gets a delay of game. It was like, oh, this could be bad. Like This could be a, this could be a bad night for Georgia Bulldog fans. Um, but, but then he slowly started to get more comfortable, and I think as the defense defense stepped up and you realized it wasn't going to be a shootout it wasn't going to be Stetson Bennett having to just throw the football 50 times you started to you started to go okay like if they hang around in this Betson just has to Stetson Benson just has to make a couple plays and he did in the end to help them win yeah I mean look I think Stetson Bennett was nervous you know I think it was a good sign of nerves he looked very much to start the game like the walk-on quarterback Right? That's what he looked like. And then he took a breath. He relaxed. He found himself. And in the second half, he, he made just enough plays. And we'd also be smart to point out you have a, ter- uh, you have a terrible injury with Alabama. Uh, they, they're basically without wide receivers by the end of the game. You know, what? maybe the most under-discussed element, the most under-discussed element in the win for Georgia okay, is – what does the future look like for college football as we continue to want to play more games? The more games you have, the more you're going to have injuries like this. The more games, the more injuries, the less guys you're going to have healthy. And the talent is very spread out already. I think it'll continue to be spread out. I just, I don't know, I, I fear that that uh, the way college football is going, we're going to end up with guys, you know, just not enough healthy bodies. That's really kind of what it comes down to. That's what the Fox said. What does the Fox say? This is Dan Patrick on the NFL MVP. I think voters like it simple. Like, I got, I don't know, I got to figure this out. What's pro football focus's quarterback ratings and blah, 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 blah. How many different receivers? Like, you start to, it's like a word problem, and you go, oh, my God, the essay part of the uh, SAT. I know we get caught up in, well, Tom threw four touchdowns in a game a couple of times. He had one game with five touchdowns. Okay. Aaron Rodgers, I don't think, had a game where he threw for four touchdowns in the game. But, but that doesn't mean, like, you had a couple of great games. I just think from start to finish or almost start to finish with Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers, is, he's been great. I think having home field advantage. If Tampa had the best record in the NFC, Tom Brady wins the MVP. I believe that. But he doesn't. And the, but they don't, right? And Tom Brady had some, he had some bad games, so I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think Tom Brady is the MVP just because Bruce Arians and because you know he threw for all these. They couldn't run the football, couldn't run it at all. You know, could not run it at all, not even a little bit. So yeah, I mean, I think Tom Brady at his age was truly. Remarkable. Truly remarkable. But um, I don't think he's the league's MVP. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers was better this year. And if you want true value to a franchise, you can't possibly, can't possibly compete 
with what Derek Carr did to his for his franchise. And I I think that's the that's my biggest takeaway is is just that that if you if you take away um Derek Carr from the Raiders, that thing is such an absolute abject disaster of a dumpster fire. And it doesn't mean that um it, you know, look it it doesn't mean that the Tampa Buccaneers wouldn't be far worse off. It doesn't mean that the Packers wouldn't be far worse off. But you have to consider the context, the absolute context of the moment. And the context is your coach got fired. You get rid of one former first-round draft pick because you cut him of off-the-field stuff. Another one you have to, is in jail. You got all this other stuff going on. You got an interim head coach. You lose your play caller, and you find a way. You know, I, I put out a video earlier today of uh, Russell Westbrook. I was watching the Lakers play two nights ago. They had, I went back and watched the game on the Lakers channel because I'd been watching Sunday Night Football, and I realized that Russell Westbrook was a terrible teammate. <laughs> you know, he had a bad game. He went to Pout City, disappeared from the bench, and then they're, they're, they, get, they, they have a 16-0 run where there's energy in the building. Everybody in the bench is up, and he's... Still sitting on the bench. There's something going on there. Something going on there. Speaking of uh, of something going on, Tom Brady had a chance to make his friend a million dollars with one pass. Did he do it? Find out next.